Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. We've been going through this series talking about verses, sometimes ideas and concepts that many people believe are biblical ideas, but as it turns out, they're frequently misquoted or misunderstood. And as we've been going through that, we've been trying to help people understand sometimes what's true uh, about a statement and what may need to be tweaked because it's false. And today we're going to talk about one that I, I, I do believe hits on a lot of our minds, and that is a, a feeling that we sometimes get that by some means we've missed God's will for our lives. And as I saw that this was the topic and began to study and read through the verses, I was reminded of a, of a story that I heard some time back. There was a gentleman by the name of Sujo John. Now, Sujo was born in Calcutta, India. And unusually for India, he grew up in a Christian home. And uh, all his whole life, his parents and his church taught him about Christ. Sujo was a very energetic, driven young man and always wanted to, to have a better life and build a better life for himself. Sometime in his late teens, early 20s, Sujo decided that for all of that to come to pass, he wanted to make a move to the United States and see what opportunities might be here for him. Just as he was arriving at that decision, he met a, a beautiful girl in his community named Mary. The two of them eventually got married and, um, and, and they were deeply in love, and so the both of them together decided they were going to make this move, obviously, now that they're married, and they moved to New York City. Now, they're, as I said before, both intelligent and driven, and it doesn't take very long. It's only two or three weeks before Sujo and Mary find work. Sujo finds work for a company that's housed on the 80 first floor of the North Tower of the Twin Towers in New York City. And by ironic coincidence, Mary also finds work and her office is situated on the 71st floor of the North Tower of the Twin Towers. While all of this is going on and they're getting involved with their new jobs, they found a church and Sujo is listening to the teacher, the teachings being renewed in his Christianity, and he feels a sort of discontent, maybe some would call it a holy discontent, arising in himself. One morning he gets to work, and just shortly after 8 a.m., based on this discontent of a message that, that he'd heard the previous weekend at his church, he wrote to one of his Christian friends, he says, something is happening within me right now. I'm not sure what it is, but I feel pulled by God to be used for his purposes. Sujo, in other words, had arrived at a point in his life where he was beginning to wonder, as a Christian, am I fully living 
in the purposes and the will God has for my life. And he was feeling this, this holy discontent. At 8.05 a.m., he pushed send on that email and sent it off to his friend. Then he gathered up a bunch of work and went over to the fax machine where he had to fax some of those materials to a sister office in Philadelphia, and he began to fax those materials. And while he was faxing them, he heard a huge explosion. And he couldn't figure out what was happening, but the entire building was shaking. The glass had shattered. Pretty soon, what smelled like fuel was dripping down from the ceiling and fires were breaking out in the office. And he and all of his coworkers realized they needed to get out the door and on the stairwell that led to the bottom of the building. None of them knew what had happened. We know, of course, that the date that I'm talking to you about is September 11th. Imagine making your way down in a dark stairwell for 81 floors, and in the middle of that, you hear a second huge explosion. Now, you don't know what that explosion is, but you just know something horrible has happened in addition to what you've just witnessed. All the way down, Sujo has his cell phone out trying to dial Mary and find out what's going on, where is she at, tell her he's okay, and he cannot get a cell phone signal in the stairwell. I can imagine what must have been welling up inside of his heart. By the grace of God, Sujo makes it all the way down out of the building before it collapsed, and he's on the plaza, and he sees horrible tragedy. By the time he made it out, people had already begun to fling themselves out of the upper windows of the building, trying to save themselves somehow. There were dead bodies strewn all about him, and he encountered a group of 20 people that were just milling about and kind of collected themselves in the plaza, and he offered to pray with them, and they all huddled together and said a prayer, and then Sujo moved on, and shortly after that, one of the two towers collapsed. When Sujo went back, he found that those people that he had left had been crushed underneath the rubble of the falling building, and he had had the last chance to witness Christ to them through that prayer. Sujo is still trying to contact his wife. Now, I don't know if I shared this with you. Sometimes I get a little bit mixed up between the two services. Did I mention that she's four months pregnant at this time? So Sujo is not just concerned about his wife. He's concerned about the baby that is in Mary's womb at this time. But he can't get a hold of her. And now both buildings come down and Sujo realizes he's got to get out of there. And so he starts going down the street. Finally, he gets, I don't know, some blocks away, maybe a mile away. And He's exhausted, he's in shock. He just sits down on the curb on the street and begins to pray, and he's, he's hurting. In his prayer, he's asking, God, God, why would you take my wife away from me? We just got married, we're, we're having a baby. Why would this happen? He was utterly convinced that she was gone, that the Lord had taken her to heaven. 
a girl in a shop across the way sees Sujo sitting on the curb and she pulls him into the little store and says, come in, you've got to get out of this. And she offers to make some phone calls for him. As she's looking up the number in the phone to make the first call, the phone rings. And she hesitantly hands it back to Sujo and Sujo looks down and on the phone, it's his wife's caller ID. Now, Sujo is so convinced that his wife has died that he doesn't want to answer because he's sure it's someone who's found Mary's phone and who is calling to say, I'm sorry to tell you your wife has passed away. But he knows he has to answer, and so he does, and he listens. He says hello, and it's Mary, his wife. She survived. What had happened was she had arrived at work almost an hour late that morning, and when the subway train came near to the Twin Towers, it didn't stop because the first plane had already flown into the first tower, and so she never was in the midst of all the danger. The train apparently uh, went on. It's incredible to think what any of us might do in circumstances like that. And often I find that it takes a big event for us to really think to ourselves, is this what God wants for me? Am I walking in the will of God? And, and how would I know? That's a big question. How would I know whether or not this is what God wants for me? We installed Casey into ministry this morning and it's true to say that God does want some of us to consider full-time ministry, but it's also true to say that that's not what God wants for all of us, that in fact God has given each of us our vocations so that we can be out and about in the world carrying the message to people that we have created relationships with through our work and through our neighborhoods, and that's God's calling on our lives as well. What's interesting to hear is later that night, Sujo said this prayer. God, I'm done chasing things that are on my heart. Success, fame, financial security, those are all things, Lord, that were on my heart. From now on, I want to be chasing things that are on your heart. And I'm convinced that all that's in your heart is people. You want people from all over the world, many of them who've never heard your name, who don't know your son Jesus, you want them to hear your name and know him as their savior. So God, I want to become a proclaimer of the gospel, of the good news. I want to redeem my time for you, Lord. Here is a surrendered life. I'm handing my life to you. Would you write, rewrite the story of my life for me? Whether it's full-time ministry or whether it's where God has placed you right now, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your office, is that a prayer that you would be willing to pray, Lord, will you rewrite the story of my life to bring it in line with where you want me to be? You have done so much for me. You've saved me through your forgiveness from my sins. You've purchased eternal life in heaven for me 
And you did this all at the cost of your son, Jesus, my Savior, who is willing to live every day of his life making perfect choices and decisions, living perfectly as my substitute so that that he could hand me the gift of his righteousness. He was willing to offer his own life as a perfect sacrifice for my sins. Bible says there's no greater love than that a man be willing to give up his life or woman be be willing to give up her life for another. That's the great love that Jesus has shown you and me. And our response is, Lord, here I am. I want to serve you with my life, but Lord, how will I know what your will is as you rewrite the story of my life? How will I know for sure that I am serving you the way that you want me to serve you? So that's what we're going to spend this message talking about. Look at Proverbs 19.21. It says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. One of the things that we're going to learn today is that understanding God's will is like a dance. And we can fall in a ditch on one side or another. Earlier this week on the, on the Facebook page for Levine, maybe some of you caught it, there was quite a humorous picture of a car in a ditch And someone posted it and said, did this happen in Levine? It really looks like the picture happened in Levine. What I'm here to tell you, (laughs) see what I mean? Is that all of us, as we're searching for and seeking the will of God, we're on a road as we search for and seek that will. But that road doesn't have one ditch. It's not Dobbins with a ditch only on the south side. It's a road, windy and curvy, that has a ditch on both sides. So let's talk a little bit about those ditches. And as we stay on the road between those two ditches, that's what we would call wisdom. And I want you to write this down. Wisdom is the ability to make good choices I think most of us would think of it that way. But there's something else about wisdom, isn't there? I didn't write this in. Wisdom is also, as people have written, the serenity to accept that I don't make all the choices, to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That's wisdom. And on that road of wisdom, of making good choices, here are the ditches. Two extremes to avoid, I call them in your notes. Some people believe this. Everything is decided by God. It's all laid out. It's destiny. My life is fated. My decisions, my choices don't matter. And I'm going to tell you that to understand how to be in God's will for your life, if that's your belief, you have to push it to the side. That is not a biblical belief. The Bible teaches us very clearly that God opens up decisions to us, that he allows us in our freedom to make decisions, and those decisions matter. Casey was installed here when she was assigned here. The assignment committee told her, 
You can choose, Casey. If you want to go to Crosswalk, then you will accept this call. If you don't want to go to Crosswalk and you want to wait for another call to come along, you can refuse this call and and wait, and it's your choice, and you're completely free to make it. Now imagine, this is a big decision for Casey. As I mentioned before, she grew up in Green Bay Packer country. Can you imagine coming down here? all the way from Green Bay, Wisconsin. And of course, much bigger than that is the weight of the responsibility that that she's accepting in taking this position. It's a big decision. But she had the freedom. That was not a predetermined decision. God allowed her in her free will to make that decision. So everything is decided by God is the ditch on one side, the extreme to avoid. On the other side is everything is decided by me. My destiny is whatever I make of it. It's the sum of my choices. This is a very popular belief in today's American culture. Doc says something like this at the end of the, 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 the trilogy of Back to the Future. You make your own life. Go and make it a good one. As if it's only our decisions and choices that guide the way the path of our life goes. This is also false according to the Bible. The Bible teaches us that that God has definitely fixed some things and decided some things. Go all the way back to the, the, the book of Genesis where God firmly decided when Adam and Eve fell into sin that one day he would send his son to be the savior of the world and he fixed a day for that. We know that from Galatians because it says at just the right time, God sent a man born of a woman to be our redeemer. We're we're told that at just the right time. This is something God had decided. Jesus teaches that the day of judgment is going to come and that God firmly knows when that day is going to happen. He's decided And he's made decisions. And there are other things in between where God makes the decisions. And those things are going to happen. His purposes, as as we learned uh, from Proverbs 19.21, his purpose will prevail. Now that's why I call it a dance. Because from our point of view, we don't always know when it's one and when it's the other. Is this something that God has left entirely in my hands? Is this something that God has decided? And so we sometimes, in trying to put ourselves in the path of God's will, have to dance that dance. And we're going to understand from the rest of this message how to do that. We're going to start learning how to dance that dance by talking about four ways that I think commonly we we have a tendency to make decisions. And I want to talk about that because our sin can twist us up. It's not that these things are wrong in themselves. It's that when we become sinfully selfish, we can use these things as justifications for making poor and unwise decisions. So here's here's the four. Circumstances. Sometimes we let what's happening to us 
in our mind, open doors or closed doors based on the circumstances of our life. And we read into those circumstances. And this is where we have to be careful that we don't selfishly read into those circumstances. And then begin to say, well, I made this decision because it was clear God opened this door from what was going on in my life or God closed the door from what was going on in my life. Understand Reading circumstances a little bit like reading tea leaves, it's not a very certain science because sometimes God wants you to kick the door down, not just wait for him to open it. And so you have to be able to understand, is this an occasion where God is testing my perseverance? And God wants me to kick that door down? Or is this a time where he wants me to wait and let him open the door for me? Or does that open door necessarily mean that God wants me to walk through it? So circumstances. Second one is conveniences. All of us love to have life be a little easier. And if a decision or a choice can make life a little bit easier, wonderful. And so it's very tempting at times, especially if our sinful nature gets a hold of us, to do what's convenient for me. And sometimes we don't always consider our loved ones around us. Well, it was convenient for me to do this. I don't necessarily care whether it was convenient for them. So being convenient is a way we make decisions, but it's not always the right way to make a choice. Third one is criticisms. If you have something in your mind that your mom and dad told you when you were growing up, and it, comes, it gets replayed like a little podcast going on in your mind every now and then, and, and, and you find yourself thinking, I'm going to prove my mom and dad wrong. Maybe it was a classmate or a friend in high school. It's 20 years later. High school was way back when, but you're still trying to show that classmate and prove that criticism wrong. So often... Criticism, past criticism drives our choices and decisions because we want to show people who criticize us they were dead wrong. And again, that's just a little bit of pride often. The third one is an interesting one. The, th- the fourth one, rather, is an interesting one. And it's convictions. And I like this one, but we also have to be careful with it. Because we have to understand where our deepest beliefs, that's what I mean by convictions, our deepest beliefs are based. And it, and it can be very easy to base our convictions in things that shift and change. In our world and in our culture, we're constantly learning new things. Science is learning new things. Historians are learning new things. Uh, Knowledge is constantly developing, technology, and all of a sudden we base a choice on a conviction that we've gained out of sand, shifting sand-like things, and we find that we haven't made a very wise choice or decision about our life. Here's what Jesus says. The word of the Lord stands firm forever. If we want to base our convictions on something, here's where to base your convictions because God himself promises that this word of God, the Bible, will remain true and stand firm forever. 
Build your convictions and your beliefs and then let those choices and decisions you make in life flow out of this and you will always find that you are walking in the will of God. Circumstances, conveniences, criticisms, and convictions. And I want to encourage you, first of all, to find God's will and the convictions that you have that are based in the firm and solid and eternal word of God. But let's go on from there because there's more. Paul the Apostle once wrote to the Romans and he beautifully lays out the plan of salvation. He tells the Romans why they are convicted of sin before God. And really in reading that, we learn why we're convicted of sin before God. And then he shares with them the beautiful love of God in Christ that has redeemed us from our sin and brought us to forgiveness and eternal life. And he lays that out in 11 chapters. If you've never read those 11 chapters of the book in Romans, of Romans, I want to strongly encourage you to grab that book when you get home this week and just, just read through it chapter by chapter. It's beautiful. At the end of that 11 chapters, he comes to a point where he says, now that you know how much God loves you, How does God want you to respond to his love? And this is what he says. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. What Paul is saying here is, Give yourself over to God. Now, he's not, he's not talking to, to people who are unbelievers. He's talking to believers. And he's encouraging them not to be converted to Christianity. They're already converted. But to take it a step deeper and to truly sacrifice themselves to God, to hand their lives over, it reminds me very much of what we heard Sujo say. He was already a Christian. He was feeling this holy discontent. And Sujo says, Lord, I feel like there's more. I feel like I can grow. I can get more in line with your will. It's interesting because I want you to read what comes next. Paul, in essence, says, after you have fully committed yourself to to the Lord, look at what he says is going to happen next. I want you to circle the word then. After you've surrendered yourself, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. What Paul is teaching us here is if we want to understand being in the will of God, The first thing that's necessary, the first prerequisite is that we hand our our lives over to God and say what Sujo said, rewrite my story. You see, it's interesting because I read that and then I read the next verse. Look at it, Proverbs 16, 3. Commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. Can I just confess to you that I think I've always misunderstood that verse. When I've read that verse, I always took it as if I lay my plans out before the Lord and submit them to him and do kind of what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, uh, take this cup from me, uh, but not my will, yours will be be done, that, that God would bless those plans and lead me in my deeds and actions to follow up wisely. But what... What Solomon is saying here is actually the opposite of that. 
He doesn't say submit or commit your plans to the Lord. He says commit and submit your deeds to the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do. And what he means is very similar to what Paul said. Make of your bodies a living sacrifice. And when you commit to the Lord, your daily actions, your daily activities, whatever you do, as Solomon writes, then he will take your plans and establish them. Here's your first prerequisite for understanding whether you're in God's will. Write this down. To make wise choices requires an act of handing over and primarily handing ourselves over to God. Now there's a second prerequisite. And we find that in John 6, 29. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. The second prerequisite is that when we make our choices and our decisions, God, as I've said to you already, has given us freedom to make those decisions. Casey could have come or not come. She was completely free. It would have all worked out in the end to serve God's purposes, whichever her choice was. And the same is true for you. But in order to make wise decisions in our lives... We have to trust that we have a loving God and that our Heavenly Father has a will for us that leads to us being in eternity with Him and that all happens through faith. That's why Jesus said, if you want to know the primary thing I need you to do, believe in me. Trust my love for you. Trust that my Father's will for you is eternal life, that he is leading you. Whatever decisions and choices you make on a path that will draw you to heaven one day where he can embrace you and give you the adventure of heaven forever. And I like this verse because there's really two ways you can look at it. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. You can take it this way, that this is the primary thing God wants from us. But we can also take it this way. The work of God is this, meaning we can't believe, we can't trust unless God works in our heart. It's the work of God when we believe In Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. And that's true too, isn't it? We know that sin has separated us from God by nature, by birth. But we also know that God loves us enough not just to send us his son, Jesus Christ, but that in his immense love, he sent us his word and through his word, the Holy Spirit, to draw our hearts, to take our stone-cold, rock-hard, faithless hearts, break them down, not by our will or power, but by the Spirit's will and power, and make us able to cling to Jesus Christ in faith as our Lord and Savior. That's the work of God. Now flip the page. When that work happens, when the Holy Spirit works on our heart, amazing things happen. We come to understand that Jesus is all we need in life, that he fulfills every one of the deepest desires of our soul. That's why Jesus says what he says here on the top of page two of the notes. Then Jesus declared, 
I'm the bread of life. You want to live, you want to have sustenance, not just for your bodies, but for your souls. It's me. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, like like in never in his soul go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I will feed you spiritually. I will take care of your spiritual thirst. And then he points to the Father's will. So important that we understand this. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Let me boil this down into the second prerequisite. To hand over my life. So we just talked about how we need to understand, the God's, to understand God's will. We need to hand over our life. But to do that, let's be honest, we're not naturally trusting people. To do this, we have to, it requires that we know and trust Jesus' love is real. And that my Father's will for me is eternal. To hand over my life and my plans to God requires that I know and trust Jesus' love and my Father's will for me. All right, there you have it. Two prerequisites for your soul. Number one, are you ready to hand over your life to God? Number two, do you deeply rely on and lean on God for his love and trust that whatever's going on in your life, whatever choices and decisions you've made are leading you to eternal life. Do you trust that? But now you say to me, can we get practical? How do I really know? I I believe these things, but how do I know I'm in the will of God? I'm going to bring up three verses. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Number one, I want you to circle the word integrity. It starts with this. Am I ready to live the life that God has called me to in the will that I do know? And and what represents the will of God that I do know are, are things like the commandments. Am I ready to live out the Ten Commandments with integrity? Not just on Sunday morning and doing different things throughout the rest of the week. Are my choices and decisions in life driven by commandment number one? I want God to be honored above all things and to, and to be known as the center of my life. Commandment two, I want, I want God to be praised and given thanks and his name be honored because of the choices and decisions I make. Commandment number three, is this choice and decision going to make it easier for me to worship God and to be be together with my brothers and sisters in Christ? Now, I could run through all the commandments. You get what I'm saying. What this is saying is integrity is using the known will of God represented by the commandments to make your decisions. I had the most interesting thing happen to me this morning in the lobby. I met a gentleman for the first time. His name is John. And we were chatting, just getting to know each other, and completely unbidden, he said something shocking to me. I just learned that he's moving here from Mankato, Minnesota, and I I asked him, "What, what brought you here? And he said to me, Crosswalk Church brought me here. I am moving here, and there's only one reason I want to be part of this church. Huh? From Mankato, Minnesota, you are moving here to be part of Crosswalk Church? Did I just hear you say that? 
But I'm going to tell you that for him, it was about being in a place where he can worship and serve and honor God. That was what he was and his wife were thinking when they decided this. I was blown away. But that's what it means to make your decisions in the, in the will of God, the known will of God. Second, plans are established by seeking advice. So if you wage war, obtain guidance. Number two, gather around some people that you trust. Wise people, smart people, most of all spiritually wise people who are Christians and believers that you can lean on and say, help me with what you think about this. And then, of course, you know I'm going to say this. Pray and seek the Lord's guidance. If you want to know what the Lord's will for your life is, live with integrity in the commandments, the known will of God. Secondly, seek guidance and advice. And thirdly, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. This is huge. I'm going to, I'm going to almost shout this one. Make a decision. Don't get stuck. So many of us are afraid and we get stuck and we're like, I don't know if this is what I should do or what I shouldn't do. And we just stop because we're afraid. I want you to look at that passage. It says, you're free to decide because you can't do anything that is, go that is going to stop the Lord's purpose from prevailing. The Lord's purpose will always prevail. And God has said, you're free to make this decision, so decide. And stop waiting. Stop twiddling your thumbs. Get off the dime and make a choice. Trusting that God has got you because he loves you and he's leading you toward eternity. So write this down. To make wise choices means that I will, one, be guided by integrity, Two, seek guidance. And three, decide, trusting that God's purpose will prevail. Do you know and do you trust that every step and every stage of your life as you live it, seeking God's will for your life is preparation for the next step? And the next stage of your life where God will use you just a little more and a little more throughout your life, God's preparing you. He's growing you. He's maturing you. And do you believe because of Jesus Christ, because of the cross and the resurrection, that all of your life, no matter what your choices and decisions are, through the blood of Christ, all of your life is leading you to eternal life in heaven? Do you believe that your God through all your choices and decisions, and his choices and decisions too, has good plans for you, that he loves you? Look at what it says in Jeremiah 29, 11. I, I, I want you to firmly believe this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God wants you to prosper, especially spiritually. He doesn't want you to be harmed. He wants to give you hope and a future. God's plans for you are all good. Now as you go, I, I hope you'll keep this somewhere handy. 
Because I know it's easy to listen to all of this in the peace and safety of a, of a church auditorium and go, oh yeah, that makes sense, but you're going to be under pressure. And as I close, I want to I tell you three times when you're going to maybe want to pull this back out and review it. And remember, okay, yeah, I want to make this decision by living a life of integrity, a life that's handed over to God. I want to seek advice from wise people and from God through prayer. Uh, I, I want to make a decision and not just wait forever, trusting that God's purpose will prevail. You, it's easy to say that now, but you're going to be under pressure. I want to point out three situations where you may want to pull this back out. Three times when you're going to need to use this. Number one, when you feel an upcoming decision in life is critical, there's a huge fork in the road. Casey faced a fork in the road. She had a huge decision to make. The Lord let her here. She decided to come here. And both are true. It's a dance. When we feel uncertain about a decision's outcome, we're not sure how all of this is going to pan out if we decide one way or the other. We're on a road that goes over a hill or around a bend. And finally, when we feel we've made a bad decision, oh man, the pressure is sometimes unbearable then. And we might need to make a U-turn. Keep this handy. If you want to be in God's will in making decisions and choices, big ones and small ones, in your life. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you loved us enough to send us your son, Jesus, to be our savior. Help us to rest that that came from your love, Father, and from Jesus' love for us, and to know that that love is with us every day. Help us to rest in the fact that you did that to bring us to eternal life, and help us like Sujo to realize that because we trust that, we can surrender and turn, hand over our lives to you. We can grow, and we can depend more on you every day. Lord, help us also to say in our hearts, rewrite the story of my life so that wherever I am, I am serving you inside of your will on the road that you have laid out and not in one of those two ditches, Lord. Help me to live a life of integrity. Help me to seek advice from wise counselors and from you, Lord, through prayer. And help me to trust always that the plans that you have for me are good plans plans to give me hope in the future. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. As you go, I want you to rest this week knowing that God's love for you is immense. It's huge and it's relentless and that God's purposes for you are eternal. He wants to hug you in heaven forever. And if you remember those two truths always, you won't fall in the ditch. You'll be in God's will for, the lot, for your life all the way to heaven. Let me send you out with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen.